All right, No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world here at uh, our new location, very high security, to interview the one and only <laughs> DJ Vlad. What's up, Adam? How you doing, man? I'm good. Oh. I'm good, man. Kind of a sad day in LA right now. This is a very good point. The Nipsey's uh, funeral, man. You can just feel it, especially being in LA. You just, just feel the, the weight of it all, man. So, mm. Yeah, you, you remember when you first became familiar with him? Because you interviewed him, what, five, six years ago? or? Yeah, yeah, man. I remember when he first, you know, when he first came out. I think he was actually signed uh, to a major label, Maven Epic. I'm not totally oh, okay. sure. Um, but yeah, we had been hearing about him, and then, um, you know, I, I think one of my people did a, a short interview with him. Like mm-hmm. this was right. like nine years ago, where we asked like the top five girls, oh, okay. you know, and, and he mentioned Lauren London. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like he actually like spoke it into existence uh, years later. And then me and him got to actually sit down in New York, and we did like about a, I don't know, maybe like a forty-minute interview okay. or so that we actually were putting out today, like the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, cool dude, man. Ran into him a few times. Uh, only good things to say, quite honestly. Yeah, he's a, he's a weird one to see past because that's pretty much the consensus is that yeah. nobody has anything negative to contribute about him. It's like we're seeing a reaction to his passing that a lot of people are saying they haven't seen it since Tupac. Yeah, man. I mean, you saw the big reaction from XXX and Tassione, but mm. I can honestly say this is a bigger, just a bigger outcry. For LA, for sure. Yeah. yeah absolutely. No, pretty crazy. So, okay. A lot of people, I feel like they have no idea where Vlad is coming from. So I feel like we, we owe it to them, at least to reiterate the story of where Vlad came from and how Vlad became who he is today. Because I, I mean, let's just start off, I guess, before we even say that. I'm just a massive fan of the content. I'm a massive fan of the machine that you guys seem to have in place. That's like it, part of what I've been trying to figure out as just a fan. It's like, how the fuck does this guy produce this much content? And how does he, how has he been doing it for so goddamn long too? So what do you want to know? Okay. Well, let, let's just, let, let's go back. Let's go back. Yeah. So you were born uh, in the Ukraine. In the Ukraine. He used to be part of the USSR, mm-hmm. part of the Soviet Union at that time. So I consider myself Russian. Mm-hmm. Even technically, he's not Russia anymore. But right. I was born into Russia. Okay. And I moved to the U.S. when I was about four years old. And you moved where? First, I moved to Massachusetts. And then we stayed there for a few years. Where? Uh, Springfield. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Western Mass. Yeah. Uh, I lived in Springfield. And then my parents moved to, uh, you know, to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. First to San Francisco for, you know, maybe about a year. And then uh, I, I grew up in San Mateo. Okay. Kind of a suburb of San Francisco. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Went to school at UC Berkeley and kind of stayed in Berkeley and Oakland for a bunch of years. And you were always a hip hop fan this whole time? Always a hip hop fan, like from elementary school. Uh huh. Uh, when hip hop sort of kind of became national outside of New York, the mm-hmm. New York City Breakers became sort of a thing on television. I kind of became a break dancer during that time and I started buying like the early, like Grandmaster Flash, the Furious Five albums, the first Run DMC album. You know, and really there was very little hip hop, period. So I would just go to the record store and buy, you know, a, a vinyl just, you know, without even hearing it first mm-hmm. and go home and hope it was, it you was dope. through the thanks and like the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah see who produced other. it and yeah. yeah, man, you couldn't really, you know, went to like warehouse records. You couldn't really listen to this shit ahead of time. So right. you just bought it and hope for the best. What, what do you feel like drew you to that world? Um, I think being a, a Russian kid named Vlad, mm right at the height of the cold war with wow. russia yeah. where i was like basically the devil to everybody so you, you know were getting I mean? jokes in school like the way a muslim kid might in 2001 yeah yeah i mean imagine you know right after 9 11 there's a kid named osama mm-hmm. you know in the school with no other muslim kids and everyone's looking at him like he's the enemy like a lot of you know a lot of fights 
a lot of teasing, you know, a lot of arguing, just a lot of uncomfortableness because there was no other, where I was living, there wasn't a Russian community. It was really right. just me and that's it. Uh, so sort of like the, you know, hip hop was kind of like really like an outcast kind of culture during that time. And I just kind of got drawn to it, you know, between the music and the break dancing. Um, it just became my thing and it just became a lifelong thing after that. Do you have any like recollections of your early encounters with different media outlets or anything like that? Were you somebody who was like particularly yeah. drawn to the source? Because myself, I noticed yeah. really drawn from like young age to any kind of media. I, I read every issue of the source. I read every issue of XXL when it first came out. Um, I was reading rap pages. I was reading like... You know, in the Bay Area, we had a bunch of independent mags, like Industry Rule, 4080, um, just whatever I can get my hands on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and kind of looking at it now, like I never thought that I would have a media outlet that's bigger than some of those, you know, magazines that I used to read. So it was And just you're assisted by the fact that some of them have not uh, fared so well. Not, not so well. <laughs> not so well. Yeah, the source is kind of just scraping along. I mean, Double XL has their... Um, uh, you know, their freshman mm -hmm. issue, but that's kind of their, their one claim to fame, right. uh, you know, overall numbers wise, it, it is what it is. And you know, it's the weird thing to see is that if you ask me, double XL and the source and stuff, they sort of forfeited a lot of their influence to the blogs during the blog era. And then the blogs sort of disappeared over time and ushered in a new era. So yeah. it's kind of like the, 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 the institutions that killed off the hip hop bible and such like they're not really around to witness the, the the end result yeah i mean i actually met with the source in double xl and offered to work with them and they really kind of just snubbed their nose at me and were like now we got this you know we don't need your help really so i'm like all right yeah i mean at one point i was gonna buy double xl <laughs> i was what, actually what talking year? to the publisher uh this was like it was before they got bought out maybe about five years ago five six years ago really yeah i was thinking about it like I said, I was, I was talking to Dennis Page, who was the publisher of Harris, uh, Harris Publishing, uh -huh. their parent company. Right. And me and him had a, a couple talks about it, but what he was offering kind of didn't really make a lot of sense. And what, what would you really have to gain from that besides, you know, a brand name? Um, I, I think, you know, well, number one, you, you have the, the catalog right. that comes That's with true. it. And I think that what we do is kind of a little bit different than what XXL does. Mm -hmm. They're more focused on the music side. So it would, would have been cool to kind of have yeah kind of a pure music kind of play like that as somebody who's like primarily a youtube channel there is always that that guy that uh sort of urge of like fuck like it would be kind of cool to just really hone in on the website thing although you you have the website but i feel it feels yeah. like the youtube channel is like by far the focus at this point yeah yeah i mean uh i think like last year that's when the youtube revenue started to really surpass the website revenue but i mean the website revenue is still strong it you is. know the app is still strong but but youtube at this point has kind of gone through the roof mm -hmm. so what about like the the time period between you being like a young early hip-hop fan up until you start to get into the the media game what was like what did you concern yourself with during those times i mean i kind of started I mean, I started producing, you know, like, I mean, from going from just being a fan and a break dancer and, you know, just someone who just loved listening to hip hop. Uh, when I got to college uh, at UC Berkeley, I started, um, you know, there was kind of a hip hop community there, mm -hmm. which is where, which really, there wasn't one where I was growing up. You right. know, this was like, you got to see hieroglyphics and souls of mischief kind of blow up, you know, right in front of us, mm -hmm. you know, hanging out in Berkeley. So I started making beats and I started producing um and that kind of did that for a couple of years but wasn't all that great in it then i started djing and then that's when uh 
things started to kind of take off and I moved to New York uh, in 2002 as a mixtape DJ. Okay. And that's when things started to ramp up. I started coming out with these, um, there's these mixtapes called Rap Phenomenon. There was a, a Biggie one and a Tupac one that won like every mixtape award. And you were the one actually doing all the scratching or cuts that, or that's whatever it might have been. scratching, but more like the blending. Right. Like the taking the, you know, because from being a producer, it's like going from like, okay, taking these vocals and putting on this beat and maybe getting like Bun B to come do a verse. And, and in retrospect, and... it seems crazy because it's like, wow, I was getting away with a shitload of copyright infringement. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and I remember I remember the day that I said, you know, I'm not going to fuck with this mixtape shit anymore because I was I had a business selling these mixtapes to little mom and pop stores. And then DJ Drama got, bu uh, mm -hmm. got busted. They raided his house, his and he like, was studio. He was one of the biggest ones at the time. And um, they, I remember they towed his car right. <laughs> and they, they seized his bank accounts. And I'm like, this shit ain't worth it. They weren't making an example out of him basically to tell people like you, like, you better fucking stop too, yeah. right? And, you know, it was a hustle. It wasn't a mm -hmm. career. It was like, you know, I wasn't going to keep elevating making these semi-illegal, illegal compilations and it wasn't turning into record deals i wasn't mm. becoming dj khaled i was getting booked for shows and i was doing shows in australia and japan and europe and that was cool but it wasn't like i was starting to get older and i'm like all right this is this has a shelf life how much was the most mixtapes you were selling in a month at, at the height maybe a few thousand okay a few thousand it was paying my mortgage and you know i had like a condo in jersey and you know i had a little bmw x3 you know right. nothing not balling but you know living living okay right you know but were you looking at the hip-hop media as if it was an opportunity you know i was doing the mixtapes and i saw that that was about to you know kind of go away because the mom and pop stores were going away mm -hmm. so then i started doing dvds like street dvds and that was kind of cool and that was kind of starting to go away as well because DVDs yeah. were going away. And that, that was gone yeah. by 2007, 2008 yeah. was when it started to really fall yeah, off? Yeah, 2008. And that was kind of, and I, was, I started doing documentaries. Mm -hmm. I did uh, this documentary called Ghost Ride the Whip, mm -hmm. which was, you know, was picked up. It was on MTV and I think Netflix picked it up and that didn't really make any money, mm -hmm. even though it was a cool project. And then YouTube came around in 2008 with the, with the partner program, you know, and, uh, I just saw the vision. I said, this is the next shit, like right off the bat. I said, this right here is going to be the biggest video platform on earth. So you knew, that's pretty I impressive. Knew. I knew, well, cause you know, when I went to Berkeley, I was a computer science major. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was a tech guy already. I was a computer programmer for a couple of years before mm -hmm. I, I kind of moved into the music thing. So you, that, that's interesting. That, that's yeah. kind of how you landed on so early is you already had that like computer knowledge and then you also had the hip hop knowledge and yeah. you were able to and bring I'm it all together. I'm in Berkeley, you know? which is kind of Silicon Valley, like the dot com thing was happening. Like I was, I saw the, the, you know, technically I saw the vision of it. Right. You know, like, okay, you could make this video and other websites could put it on. Like, oh, so I don't need a big website to make this video big. So it, it kind of, you know, like the light bulb went off. The light bulb just went off, and I said, "All right, fuck this DJ shit, fuck this DVD shit, fuck this documentary shit. Like, this is the next thing that I'm going to focus everything on." And uh, you know, it was a gamble, which because it, you know, it couldn't have been out. making too much money at first. Was it at first like not enough to really justify the investment? But you saw the long term. Yeah, no, it it, it wasn't, but it was like the ownership. You know, it was the, the long term mm. of where it's going. Like, okay, it's not making a lot, but I own it forever because fucking with these movie companies, I've never seen a royalty check. Mm. 
and you know I've had documentaries on Showtime for like two or three years and I've never seen a royalty check mm. so you're like okay it's not a lot of money right now but I own it forever and it'll make money forever so there's a as, as long as I keep increasing my catalog and as long as the catalog is important you know pieces like for example you know you know, we were just talking about Nipsey Hussle, my Nipsey Hussle interview. Like, yeah. you know, that interview, a piece of that interview was the one that LA Times referenced. Mm. It's the one that NBC played when they did their, their segment on Nipsey Hussle. And they talked about Vlad TV and my logo was on there and everything else like that. Like, you know, we're part of the Nipsey Hussle story now, Yeah, which, which is important. And, and that was the, the vision that I saw early on. Like, we're creating a catalog of important video content which we will own forever that I could pass on to next generations yeah you know and that, that was the thing that's kind of the thing that I find so addictive about doing this and you sort of uh, expressed it to me previously I think we were talking about your old Cardi B interview clips but the idea that you could do an interview that maybe doesn't seem so significant at the time I'm sure yeah. when you're doing the Cardi B interview it was cool but it wasn't yeah. you know you didn't think it was going to shatter the internet and then all of a sudden one day she's like one of the top rappers and that yeah. piece has a ton more meaning the Nipsey thing all of a sudden just new life is just breathed into that content as soon as there's a societal condition that makes it more important. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't celebrate these these situations. It's it's sad. I, I don't want to be, you know, have a bunch more views because this mm. man got tragically murdered. But you know, but that's people want to go back and 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 reminisce and see what what this person had to say. Mm. And uh, you know, it's important. At one point, all of us are going to be gone, mm. and what we're going to leave behind is these these videos and these conversations and our thoughts. And uh, I'm trying to capture a lot of that, you know, while I'm here. Yeah, just the, and I mean, it can happen in positive ways and it can happen in neg way, yeah. negative ways. Like with the Cardi thing, you know, she goes on to have this amazing career. She blows up. All of a sudden that content is so much more important. And then it goes in the other way too. Like my ex interview, you know, seemed really important even before he passed, but then he passed and all of a sudden it takes on this whole new level of importance. And like, right. I, I think you get that in a way that a lot of people maybe don't, that this content isn't just important because of the next couple of weeks where it's maybe going to make the vast majority of its money, but it's just important because, you know, these, these videos, that you're putting on YouTube are still going to be being watched 10 years from now, 20 years from now. 100 years from now. With a little luck, yeah. Maybe even 1,000 years from now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like like some of these people will go down as icons, like mm. like a Nipsey, you know, like this is, this is really my bigger purpose in what I do. It's not just how much money can I make right now. It's like, what am I actually capturing, you know, with, with my interviews? How would you describe your interview style? Uh, I think, uh, you know, hard hitting, like I didn't look at other hip hop interviewers as role models at all. Cause you, know? you didn't really have that. Cause you started so early. No, right? no, that's not true. Okay. Uh, Sway has been doing it forever. True. Funk Flex has been doing it forever. Uh, Angie Martinez has been doing it forever. Big Boy, you True. know, who you just interviewed, has been doing it forever. But there wasn't as much like video content of those interviews being created. But I guess there well, was. But some, it's still, you know, but yeah. it's still the conversations, True, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I listen to to you know the Wake Up Show Sway since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, what I mean, but uh, I just always felt like these interviews were were a lot of times more PR than they were. Mm. real interviews like I looked at 60 minutes mm. like okay a 60 minute interview changes legislation you know what I mean a 60 minute interview come out and laws 
will, will be changed. Companies rise and fall, you mm. know, over these types of interviews, like countries revolt and, and that type of thing from 60 Minutes. That's what I was trying to accomplish. Mm. I wasn't trying to just just talk about someone's new album and what kind of jewelry they got on. You know, even though we do cover that, it's mm -hmm. like there's a there's a bigger purpose in what I do. Yeah, and was that just obvious to you from the beginning that you wanted to be that kind of interviewer? Because, yeah. it's, you know, I, f I fluctuate between like that, that attitude of like, I want to ask people the hardest hitting shit that I can think of. Sometimes I'll do an interview where it's like, you know, I just did, I did a Spice One the other day. Mm -hmm. I did him. Yeah, I know. And I watched it and that made me not really want to ask him a lot of the heavy hitting <laughs> shit that, not because he reacted badly to it, but it's like, I mean, you got him to tell the bank robbing story. So, you know, he showed up in my studio and I mean, we also did the interview at like nine, 10 at night and he's drinking and we're smoking and we just ended up chilling, talking shit for two hours. But I mean, you know, there there's definitely a value to what you're doing because you're taking care of like certain stories there that maybe wouldn't be covered by somebody who was doing more of a softball interview. Yeah, that's why I didn't actually ask him about a lot of the things that might have been some of the most interesting stuff is like, you know, he went on your show and told the bank robbing story. So that's, you know, you're covering stuff that's so important that it sort of makes it so that, you know, other interviews don't necessarily need to touch on those things. Yeah, I mean, my you could ask, you know, I've asked people the same questions that other interviewers have asked. Mm. I would just start kind of going in different directions with their answers i noticed one thing that you'll do is that you'll ask somebody something and they'll sort of give you a little bit of a around the the you know they'll they'll beat around the bush and then you'll say so you're saying that this <laughs> happens <laughs> and you just lay it out in plain english and they're sort of like all right well when you you know when, when you put it so up front it's almost hard for them to like deal with the fact that you're saying that they just did what they said they did it is what it is man like we're not we're not here to do PR. Mm. You know, the, the best interviews are not, are supposed to be somewhat uncomfortable. You know, the interviews that go down in history are not just where everyone's happy and just talking about all the fun stuff. It, mm. It's the stuff that really, you know, like a Mob James interview where he talks about his brother getting killed and he's crying as he's describing it. Like, those are the interviews that go down as legendary interviews. Mm. It's not, you know, like, you look at, you know, and I'm sure you deal with this, like, these PR companies and these, these management companies, they always want to go for the radio stations, mm. right? So you, all the big artists, they'll go do, do their runs and do the radio stations and the video hit YouTube and get like 130 views, not 130,000, 130, 130 mm. views because it's a lame ass interview mm. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's a channel that isn't even relevant, but they keep doing these, these fucking radio interviews. And it's like, yo, this is not what I'm doing. Mm. And also, you know, with, with radio interviews, it's a different format, right? It's hip hop doesn't have talk shows, you know, talk radio, mm -hmm. you know, like um, like a Howard Stern. So they're really they're, they'll do an interview and they'll put like a little ten minute, you know, or a five minute part between songs, and then go right back to the music again. Because I've had conversations with like Hot ninety seven and all them, and I'm like, hey, you know, we should talk about bringing. Vlad TV on this platform he's like well now nah, like this ain't gonna work on here because we gotta play music the whole time and we can only you know play a couple minutes of your interview and it's like well that's not what we do so right <laughs> yeah that I mean that's interesting though because there is that dynamic that unfolds now where you didn't have all these radio stations making video content and putting it on yeah, YouTube until 
the past couple years even when i started like three four years ago that wasn't really much of a thing has that been strange for you to watch that happen to see like does this annoy you at all to see all these like yeah. people jumping in the fray well they're just playing catch-up mm. but you know we we have a 10-year head start right so you know come on <laughs> <laughs> there's a big choice that you need to make as a as an interviewer where you know has there, have there been times where you thought maybe I should try to be more of a friend to the artist instead of asking the hardest questions because that's always sort of the, the, the direction that can be difficult. And we all know that people who get into the industry, they usually end up choosing the side of being friends with everybody rather than being the hard-hitting journalist type. I mean, look, are there certain people I interview that, you know, I know don't want to mention certain things like, you know, for example, like if I have a regular guest and I know there's a certain thing that they may not want to talk about, I'll have a conversation with them beforehand. I say, hey, you know, I had heard that X, Y and Z happened to you. Do you want to talk about it? And they're like, nah, I don't really want to fuck with this. Mm -hmm. So it's like, all right, cool. We're going we're gonna to let it go. But it's also not going to be a cakewalk. Mm -hmm. You know, when you sit down with me, it's not just going to be you know all promo and you know like lighthearted. it's like yo when we sit down you know we're going to talk about the real shit because if we don't it's not going to get the views and the impact it's going to be a waste of everyone's time mm -hmm. you know like i remember when i interviewed big U, am like hey you know do you want me to run the titles by you he's like nah do you mm -hmm. <laughs> nah like i'm here for vlad tv to do vlad tv and, you know, shit, the full interview did like a million views and then the parts did probably another two or three million and, you know, went down as a huge impact. Right. For, know, for, a, both for a guy that if you had just titled it The Big You Interview, it might have done 100,000, 80,000. It wouldn't have done crazy numbers like it you did. It would have done the millions. Right. It would have done the millions. And, you know, like I take a lot of pride in taking and in interviewing these people like, you know, like Lil D, who's the crack king of Oakland or... You know, like I, I could just go on and on and on about all these people that are not household names that nobody has really heard of outside their particular cities, and it will get millions of views, and it will make a big impact, and it'll, these people end up having, you know, go on speaking tours, and they they end up getting, you know, my Michelle, my uh, interview with Michelle A, that's how she got her biopic, like you know, what I mean, like they literally, if you look at my Michelle A interview, uh, the biopic is damn near chronological to how I laid out my interview with her. Wow. And that's dope. I love it. I yeah. hope more people get movie deals and, and stuff like that. You know, people get more shows on bookings and everything else like that. Plus they just get stopped all the time. And, you know, and that's why people come back. Mm. They're like, yo, like, you know, I have this national TV show, but everyone keeps talking about Vlad interviews when I'm, <laughs> when I'm out and about. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's crazy. Just like to be able to have that that impact. Have you ever been sitting in an interview with somebody and you started to just get mad about the fact that they're being evasive or that they're not really like? There sometimes if they don't want to be honest about a certain topic, fine. But sometimes it just feels like they're not even being honest with themselves. And you asking them questions that draw attention to the reality of the situation makes them upset. It could be very frustrating. A lot of people probably don't really understand that about doing interviews. I mean, look, I mean, it's, it's my job, mm. right? It's my, people think like, Vlad, Adam, y'all just sit and ask questions. Y'all don't really do shit. Like, I could do that. Mm. You know, I, I, people are always like, yo, like, I, I could do a better job than that. And it's like, all right, 
see how easy it is when you actually sit down with someone and you have 40 minutes right. and you know the person isn't being open and, and you're trying to it's almost like a puzzle piece like okay well he doesn't want to talk about this well let's talk about this and let's meander around and see if we can get into an interesting topic mm. along the way because you know with me I, I mean i have my notes laid out but you don't know what's going to get what's going to get brought up yeah. randomly so when that gets brought up suddenly you have to kind of rearrange your whole game plan yeah uh, like have you how many walkouts have you had a bunch or i've never had a walkout okay an actual they left and not coming back <laughs> <laughs> they always come back I mean, you know, Tretch got kind of upset at the very end of our interview okay. when I was kind of digging into like Tupac's death because they were, they were very close friends and uh -huh. he just kind of, he was just like, man, fuck. You know, he, you could see him, he gets up, his mic is still kind of dangling and he's just like, man, I, I can't take any more of these questions. And, you know, but it was really the end of our interview anyways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, me and him shook hands afterwards and I just, it was emotional. Um, but I'm not... You know, when when people compare me to some of these like, like radio uh, interviewers, where like, when they don't own their own content, they're trying to get people to walk out and mm. scream and do a bunch of stupid shit because it creates these viral moments. But with me, like, I don't I don't go for that. Like, I don't want a person to walk out and be frustrated and put that out. Like, if that actually happens, we'll cut that out of the. If a person gets frustrated and doesn't want to talk, like, we'll take a pause, we'll cut it out of our final footage and say, okay, look, let's just, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to upset you. Like, But I'm, if they don't give you a good interview, you're still going to run that, probably, right? Yeah, we've scrapped interviews before. Okay. We've scrapped. If a person's just being kind of disrespectful and it's just like, this is just lame. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not even going to run But there's this. a party that still wants to show the fans that just to be like, look at what a dickhead your fucking hero is. Somewhat, but like, you know, like I said, I don't want to be the platform where people, you know, because you'll, you'll be known for that. Mm. You know what I mean? You'll be known for that. And people will come in with that agenda. Right. Okay, I'm going to go on Vlad and I'm going to flip over a table because that's what the last guy did and it got 10 million views. Like, right. nah, like you're not, you're not, that's not what we're going to show. Right. If you do that, it's not never going to come out. Mm hmm so, yeah, man, I don't, I don't try. Like I said, it's a long-term vision of what I'm doing, like past my own lifetime. Really? So past I'm not, your own life? Past my own lifetime. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because th th these videos, like, you really don't think people are going to watch that XXXTentacion no, interview I, I, I definitely, after you die? No, I think so for sure. It's just, yeah, I haven't really, like, thought about it. What's They're watching like... it after he dies. Yeah. How's that? More. I've just proved my point. I'm watching it more. They're now, watching so. it more after he's not around anymore. So they're probably going to watch it when you're not around anymore. Mm. So that that's the mindset that I put myself in. Like, this is going to be watched by generations later. So you're going to be a buffoon, mm. or is this going to be a serious a serious situation that someone's going to you know look at it and say, okay, I could relate that to my own life. Yeah, and I mean, what I think is interesting too is that there's a lot of situations that play out in hip hop that everybody wants to know about exactly what happened. Yeah, but people want to talk about it on camera because it's too early, it's disrespectful, or they just don't want to be seen as a snitch or whatever. What I like about your shit is that you will go and get that story 20 years later. So it's like getting all the stories from all the people associated with the Tupac thing mm -hmm. 20 years later when they have no reason not to talk about it. I mean, to me, that's brilliant because 
that's just that's a content gold mine that's just sitting there. As somebody who has amazing stories to tell, they don't have any sort of real, you know, they're not a big name or whatever, but then you sort of enable them to tell stories that are really important to us, really understanding like the full history of a lot of important artists. Yeah, man. I mean, my, my favorite interviews are about people that I was fans of before I ever became part of the industry. Because mm. at that point, it was just so pure. And, you know, you're not thinking about money. You're not thinking about views. You're just thinking about how much you love this music. Mm -hmm. And to be able to then go back and sit down with this person for an hour and a half and just pick their brain and talk about how much their music affected you. Like I just did Large Professor, you know, who was kind of the executive producer of Illmatic, mm -hmm. one of my favorite albums from Nas. And it's like, I really got to sit there and, and, you know, live out kind of like a childhood, you know, kind of wish. Like, you know, when I was listening to Illmatic, I never thought I would listen, I'd be interviewing the producers of Illmatic. So, yeah. so yeah, man, it, it's, uh, it's just one of those things. Um, you know, I, I'm getting to live out you know a lot of a lot of my passions you know as an adult and, and it's it's dope yeah like just have it just getting to meet people and have conversations i think people probably forget that to somebody like me or you that that alone is very very exciting mm -hmm. like waka flocka called me yesterday to tell me about an artist that he has now granted like people tell me about their fucking artists all the fucking time but i was still pretty in shock like i can't believe that waka is hyped about an artist and is literally just chose to call me to tell me about it i mean for me as just a rap fan yeah i was pretty blown away by that it just goes to show how much of an impact you make mm. you know how, how important you are in the, the grand scheme of the music industry let me ask you this when was the first time that you went Viral, and you felt like DJ Vlad was what everybody was talking about during that. We've all had these these couple of days storms where it's like, holy shit! Like, you know, because for a while you're building and building, you're steadily building your content, building up your name, and then all of a sudden there's always just a fucking typhoon. Oh man, there, there's just so many. Um, I think the the one time that I went viral. I guess by today's standards was probably like the Soldier Boy interview, oh, okay. which turned into the Soldier Boy Challenge. Which was only a few years ago. A few years ago. Mm. Yeah. And you know, there's been lots of videos that people have all picked up on, but like people were creating their own versions yeah. <laughs> of this interview. Like, like the guy who played Bobby Brown, you know, on the new edition story, him and his other like a crew of his actors recreated <laughs> that interview into like a mini movie mm. and it was like shit like people are creating our own you know people are creating versions of my interview like that interview was uh like if you watch the childish gambino feels like summer uh animated uh music video uh -huh. they actually recreate that soldier boy interview in that music video wow really yeah, like like you see the soldier boy and you see a little pump and I think Trippy Red. Uh huh. Like and they're like sitting there like watching him as he's. <laughs> oh okay, I remember you know that. Yeah, 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 it yeah, was yeah. like okay. damn, like <laughs> this is like something that just keeps living on years later. Did you tell him you were gonna ask him about that that shooting before the interview? We just sat down and just did it. It was he. Was there any sort of sense that he might be upset about the idea of having to talk about that? I don't. Like, I don't go into interviews wondering if a person's going to be upset about I the questions. Sometimes. When there's certain things that you want to ask about that you... Like, you know, there's a rapper that I might be interviewing very soon who allegedly has been robbed a couple of times in recent memory. 
pretty like tough dude. I'm not really, you know, I'm a little bit worried about what might happen when I start to say, well, I heard this happen. I heard this happened. I mean, there's an art form in how to ease into questions. Mm. You, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a way to do it and a way not to do it. Mm. Like, you know, if we sat down and say, hey, you got robbed, right? <laughs> you're not going to get, that like, you're man? not going to get the right, you're not going to get a very good reaction. Mm. But you know, if you go ahead and, and, and you, you, you talk about a bunch of, you know, you talk about the person's history, you talk about other things and they start to get a feel for the way that you conduct yourself. You could ease into the most uncomfortable questions without the person being defensive. Mm. And, and like I said, it's a, uh, like I interviewed Jamel Hill and, you know, she had been doing it for a very long time as well as, as a journalist. And we talked about, you know, she, she mentioned how interviewing is really more of a craft than like something you learn in college. Right. And, and you only get good at it by doing it year after year after year. Mm. You know, I'm sure you could look at some of your old interviews and be like, mm. cringe. There's things I've, you know? I've said in this interview that I immediately in my head was like, you shouldn't have worried it like that. You should, you know, it's like, right. you, you need to have that gene of constantly wanting to inspect and analyze yeah. how you talk and how you're carrying out this conversation. Yeah, exactly. So it's one of those things, man. It's a, you know, you could ask anything. You just have to know how to ask it. Mm. And, uh, you know, I mean, listen, I, yeah, there, there's stuff that I didn't ask certain people that I just didn't ask for whatever reason. But most times I kind of, you know, the game plan that I lay out is what I usually follow through on. When you saw Ebro uh, making those comments to Kodak Black about his uh, rape case, yeah. how do you think about the way he handled that? Uh, it's not the way I would have handled it. Mm. Uh Ebro, I mean, sorry, uh, Kodak Black has an open case, so it, it's very touchy. Mm. You know, I try not to talk about people's open cases. You could look at like the interview I did with the baby, and you know, at this point, the whole uh, now it's it's resolved. Yeah, yeah the whole shooting thing is, is resolved, which we thought it would be, but at the time, it wasn't. Because if he says something a little bit messy on camera with you, that could all of a sudden be brought up in court easy. Right. Like, well, we, probably would happen if he I mean, said we, something. we contacted the police department ahead of time to see where, where they were with the case. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, I mean, like, we did our due diligence. That's impressive. Yeah. Like, we were like, okay, is this still an open case or it's not? They're like, it was still, still an open case. I said, all right, cool. So when we got to that part of the interview, I just said, look, I know it's an open case. So, you know, I'm not going to talk about it. You know, I mean, you did go on on IG live and mm. talk about it, which I'm not quite sure why, but you know, that was your decision. Uh, but I'm not going to add to whatever you've already said because, you know, contrary to popular opinion, like I'm not trying to have anything in an interview be used in a court case. And I'm not trying to have a situation where something was said that could ultimately hurt the person mm. later on. And, and there's lots of people who want to interview, do interviews with us, with people who are, you know, awaiting trial and because they, they just want to get their story out. But it's like, nah, this is, this is, you know, you should listen to your lawyer, mm. <laughs> you know, and if you have an open case, you probably shouldn't do interviews, period, mm. at all. You should really just keep your mouth shut until after the trial. But then there's also the extent to which you, in your head, you're thinking, well, I'm giving you a platform. You can say whatever the fuck you want. It's really not my fault, whatever you say. No, I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. I understand the impact of what I do, mm. and I understand the impact of the platform, and I understand that what comes out, you know, this is why I'm careful about statutes of limitations, and, and, you know, or if a person already, you know, did 
you know, served out the prison term for what right. they talked about. Like, you know, Freeway Ricky Ross is one of, you know, our biggest guests. And, you know, we talk about all the, sh you know, the, the millions and millions of dollars of drugs that he pushed, right. you know, in his early years, but he did like 25 years over that. So mm -hmm. he, he has the, the right to talk about that at this that's point. always the people who are the most lit like the uh the casanova interview you did where he's just going super in depth about what it's like robbing liquor stores right but he already went to, to jail for it so he was able to just be super open about it that was great yeah man it was a dope interview yeah. shout out to casanova that was a legendary one did, yeah. was that something that you knew about you knew about that beforehand and you just wanted to ask about it or how did you like necessarily know uh, about exactly what he went to prison for i, I was uh, i mean i still have friends with taxstone right that was taxstone's artist uh, back when Taxstone okay, was out, so you just know. and uh, so you know, me and Taxstone kind of had a conversation. It's like, hey, you know, give me a little bit of background about the dude, and you know, he told me. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, if he didn't want to talk about it, we would have went on to the next question. Mm -hmm. But he served his time. He wanted to talk about it. The interview got millions of views. You know, I think it helped him out in terms of his perception overall. And uh, you know, it was a dope interview, dope artist. No, that was dope. Um, when did you start to feel like you really started to get a lot of like negative feedback when that became an element? Because there is a certain percentage of uh, fans out there, hip hop fans, who really feel like DJ Vlad is a fed or just yeah. just overall a bad guy. When did when did that start to brew? And and how have you always uh, made sense of it? I think kind of from day one oh. to a certain degree because I came into it not not following the the hip hop interview blueprint. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, all the people that I was listening to, they all did these softball kind of interviews. Uh, you know, I, I ended up, uh, I directed uh, an episode of American Gangster, actually on Mac Dre and the Romper Room Gang. So I, I got to sort of put together this kind of a mini documentary on this on this artist with a, with a serious criminal element to it. And... You know, I, it was such a dope piece when it came out that I'm like, okay, I'm going to take what I did with American Gangster and I'm going to apply it to my own platform, mm. you know, so there was always that element. And I, I kind of, you know, felt like, well, look, if you got these gangster rappers who talk about the shit in their songs, let's, let's talk about it, you know, in interviews, which, which really nobody in the hip hop media really ever did. Mm. Like I said, everyone was either too scared or they wanted to be the artist's friend, or they just, that that wasn't what they wanted to do. When you go back and look at XXXO and the source and shit before the internet came around, it's it's so obvious that the labels were governing yeah. how this yeah. shit came out. Yeah, so it was sort of like, I looked at this and I'm like, a lot of this shit is just lame. Like, this is all, it's a bunch of, this wouldn't fly in the real media journalism world. Right. Like... The LA Times wouldn't be doing interviews like this. 60 Minutes or, or 2020 would not be, or Oprah wouldn't be doing these types of interviews. But yet with hip hop, this is all they fucking do. Mm. So I'm like, fuck this. Like I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really do this like how the big boys are doing it, how the big, the CNNs and everything are doing it, and that automatically created a backlash mm. from day one. But I'm like, all right, backlash it is. Well, let's do it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the numbers speak for themselves. So I don't really care what an average person behind a keyboard has to say about what I do. Like, unless you're part of my company, your opinion really just doesn't matter. It's really about, is this reacting? Is this creating a dialogue? Is it getting the views? Is it making an impact? 
And if I'm the bad guy in the process, okay, that's 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 a sacrifice I'm willing to take. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be the, the you know I'm behind the camera anyway, so I'm not I'm not here to try to be as popular as possible. That's not my goal. My goal is to build a business and create incredible content. Right. But I mean, is there ever anything that is there anything that really gets on your skin that people say about you, or is it just easy to brush it off? Because most of it is not really too grounded in reality when they say you're a cop or whatever. It's kind of like there's no use to argue with it because they're just fucking around. They couldn't possibly be being serious, right? I mean, you could check the paperwork. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, by the time this interview drops, I think, uh, you know, I just did an interview with uh, Michael Franzis. Well, who that. was the the highest ranking mafia member, uh, you know, from a major crime family, from the Colombo family? That you know, he was a capo who walked away. And in the interview, uh, he talked about doing business with uh, Al Sharpton, and how uh, I guess there was a drug deal that you know uh, Al got caught up in, and he ended up turning into an FBI informant mm. who wore a wire. Wow, you know what I'm saying? And Al Sharpton even addressed this publicly. He he said, yes, I previously spoke on it. Yeah, he oh yeah, I wore a wire to because I was was protecting my community. He he spun it whatever way. Right. But people call me a Fed, (laughs) and they love Al Sharpton. Right. But Al Sharpton was wearing a wire. Right. And getting people busted allegedly, I guess. Uh You know what I mean? Cooperating with the actual FBI, and wearing a wire. But y'all love Al Sharpton, but y'all hate me. Like, all right. Right. That's how you want to do it. It is what it is. Yeah. But so... Yeah, yeah I mean, no, the shit, the shit doesn't bother it me, doesn't, man. Yeah. It, it doesn't. I mean, like, we sign up for this. Do you have a policy in regards to how you will get into an argument with somebody who's talking shit about you? Because I, you said to me previously that you just won't respond to anybody when they're going in on you. But then if it's a public figure, I noticed that you had, like, a, a recent thing with Vince Staples, for instance. Hmm. You actually responded to him, but I mean, he's yeah. been on your platform. He's a big name. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't. That was maybe like about a year or two ago. Not, right. not super recent. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think with that, I actually kind of started it. You did start it, yeah. Yeah, because well, well, because I did an interview with Vince a long time ago, and it, it was done. It was done remotely um, at the time. Like we weren't in the same room, but it was it was me who did the interview with him. And you know, people were, you know people would just hit me sometimes. And be like, yo, how come, yo, yo, bring Vince back? And I'm like, well, I think Vince is mad at me. Mm. And then he responded. He's like, well, why do you think I'm mad at you? And I'm like, well, you know, and then we kind of started. It wasn't like a, a beef back and forth. It was actually a real lighthearted conversation where I'm like, yo, listen, I'm a fan. Like, mm-hmm. you know. But he's somebody who used to just use the media uh-huh. to build himself up. And then you've seen his, like, new approach is to just, like, his new album, I think he only did Big Boy. He just did, was actually on the album. But he only did yeah. one interview so it's like kind of interesting like for somebody like his perspective that he could use the media to get a shitload of headlines mm-hmm. but also sort of have his story written by the media to a certain extent because he's you know allowing them to sort of govern the conversation about right. it i mean look a lot of artists get to a certain point i mean usually the bigger artist gets a lot of times they do less interviews mm. now that's like the precedent the bigger the artist is the less media the less that they media do if they get they really do. big they're no interviews or one with Zane Lowe every year. Yeah, right. That like, kind of thing. You know, how many Jay-Z or Drake interviews do you see? Right. Not, not that many. And they typically own the platform that it's coming yeah, out on. Yeah, now. like Jay did it on Title. Right, like... which is much respect because <laughs> that's some smart shit right there, you know? Yeah, man. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, people, you can't really take this shit personally because it's like, in the same way that, you know, for example, sometimes an artist, they're coming up and they ask us for an interview and we don't say yes and they get to a certain point and then we'll ask them for an interview. It's like, well, y'all, you flirted on us when I had a thousand followers. And it's like, well, yeah. Yeah, I didn't nobody gave a you. shit about you back then. I did front on you. Yeah. You know, and... <clears throat> there's artists that look at our platform and say, well, this is not big enough for me to do. Like Vlad mm. TV, like I'd rather go do Good Morning America because it's a bigger platform. So I can't have my feelings hurt over that. So it, it's all, you know, I used to interview French Montana all the time mm. when he was an underground artist. He got to a certain point and he's messing with the Kardashians and he doesn't feel he needs to do Vlad TV interviews anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Somebody, cool, like, somebody like him, do you still have your team send send out a request every once in a while? Just see if they're... Because presumably a, in French Montana's career, there'll be a, a downswing. And at some point, he'll be like, well, shit, maybe I do need the Vlad TV interview. Maybe. Or maybe not. But do you have your team still like reach out to people on a regular basis? or It depends. If they're going on a promo run. You know, because we kind of monitor mm. what interviews people are doing with other platforms. You know, yours, yours included. Mm. And... Uh, you know, so we'll reach out. And a lot of times, the bigger artists, we don't get a yes. But, you know, a, a lot of our, our business these days is, is kind of formed around our, what, what I call a regular guest. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, uh, you know, Nick Cannon, Boosie, um, you know, Godfrey, Godfrey, Dion Cole, Lord Jamar, Lord Jamar Trey D, uh, BG Knockout, uh, John Sally. Uh, China Mac. You do have a nice uh, uh, repertoire a big, there. A yeah. big group, and I, I know I'm forgetting one or two, and they're going to kill me like when they when they see this. But um, you know, Freeway Ricky Ross, once again, like you know, a lot of these people who you know, uh, Deal Hughley, mm. a bunch of people who I think are just incredible people who just come back every couple months, and we'll just chop it up again. Uh, you know, and that's really what a lot of the business is based off of. So if we could get a, you know, like a number one artist who's on a promo tour, great. You know, we got Lil Yachty last time. Mm. Great. Uh, but if we never get Lil Yachty again, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of been something I've dealt with with the podcast is like realizing that it's you don't want to be 100% reliant on your ability to get the hot new artists because yeah. you need to have like a backbone to the business for the time periods that you aren't able to get the crazy ass interviews that you want to get. Right. Yeah, is there uh, what goes into picking your guests? Because some some of the people that you see, you know, like when you're saying the 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 mob boss guy, you know, I'm sitting there looking at my YouTube subscriptions. I'm like, wow, that's a great idea to interview that guy. That would have never fucking occurred to me. Mm-hmm. What's that process like? I mean, it's never the same every time. Uh, like I said, sometimes it's okay. Who are you know? What are our what are our competitors? You know who are they interviewing? Mm-hmm. And but somebody like people. him seems sort of out of the okay, yeah, right. left field. Um, sometimes you know he was on a on a platform called Valuetainment. Okay, and it was got like six million views or something. Oh, I think so I I'm did like, see that working. Oh, yeah. well, if it got six million views with these guys, we might be able to do more than that. Bring them over to a and, different audience. And it's you know even though we don't usually interview white Italian guys, <laughs> um, you know he's he's a gangster on on a you know, on a similar level to some of the people we've interviewed. Mm-hmm. So it's like, huh, this this could work. 
and uh, you know we just run with it. Sometimes you know people pitch us. You know we constantly have emails like, right. every day with people pitching us. Um, you know sometimes it'll just be me watching TV and say, "Huh, what about this guy?" Right. You know, if there's a you know if there's some sort of you know like for example, Surviving R. Kelly came out, so we start you know we got public announcement. Mm. You know, R. Kelly's first group. Then we got Lisa Van Allen, who was part of Surviving R. Kelly. And, you know, what I mean, it's like sometimes you just got to look to see where where things are heading and see what angle you could choose off of, you know, where the energy is. Right. How many people would you say you have on your team that are really making this thing happen? Because you, 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 it's not just you. Yeah. Um, Which a lot of people probably think it's just you. No, nah, definitely not. It's there's around 10 people. I mean... I have a whole big office slash studio in Manhattan, okay. in Midtown. Like if you see that big giant red couch, and uh-huh. some of the pictures I put up, like that's my studio. Like my whole video editing team is there. Part of my writing team is there. Um, you know, but I also have you know an assistant. I have you know writers that work remotely. Uh, I have a bunch of kind of regular contractors in terms of cameraman that I use. Cameramen that I use. Um, 10 full-time people, probably about 15 altogether in terms of regular contractors, uh-huh. you know, if you include those. If you sit down and do an interview with somebody, how much of the questions is coming straight from your brain versus, like, somebody sort of preparing uh, thoughts beforehand? Well, you know, I have an assistant, you know, uh, Evan, who's been with me for years now, and me and him have sort of worked out kind of a research kind of skeleton i guess mm-hmm. for every guest he understands the types of interviews that i do with the types of people you know i mean is this going to be one of these first interviews where it's more of like a life story thing or is this more of a current events kind of interview mm. so he knows kind of how to structure that and then i'll just spend you know like a couple of days you know just kind of going through those questions you know taking out certain questions adding my own doing my own research kind of creating certain things that he may not have covered or mm-hmm. just going off in a whole different direction and then from there, I'll kind of have an overall game plan. And, uh, you know, and then we'll see whether we follow it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, are we going to follow it from, you know, from beginning to end? Or halfway through, it all get thrown out the window and we do something completely different. Right. But, but, there, but there is a lot of research. Right. Like, I'm not just winging it. Uh, and a lot of people do. Right, I'm winging it right now. See, right. That's, that's, I, I just call it raw dogging it. Like, you know, I got yeah. to interview this pretty famous porn star later, and my girlfriend was like, you should watch this interview that she did. I'm like, no, nah, I'm just a raw dog it. You know, it's like two very different styles because it's it, it would be one thing to interview her and say, well, I got these 10 fucking banger things to ask you. Or, you know, I could just sort of, like, for me, mine is much more conversational. It's about just, you know, having a nice chat. Yeah, man, I think, I think both styles have their merits. Mm. You know, I think that, with me, whenever I did it, you know, in terms of like the off the cuff style that you're talking about, afterwards I'd be like, damn, I should have asked him that. Mm. And had I written it down, I would have asked him. In the middle of this interview, I was like, man, I, did, I forgot to ask Big Boy about being on that Vince Staples album, mm. which would have been. This is what happened. It's like the, the regret mm. kept happening whenever yeah. I would wing it. Because I, I interviewed Kanye back in the day. Really? Yeah, I don't have it anymore. It was an audio interview in the studio when he was working with Common on his album. There's uh-huh. a picture with like the three of us wow. uh, out there. And you just didn't have a camera guy at that time? Well, I mean, we weren't really... I mean, I was doing mixtapes back then. So was a camera wasn't even part of the... I mean, we're talking about like 2004, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years ago. 
But like, I remember just not really having any questions and he would just kept freestyling because mm. he knew I didn't have any questions. He's got to be one of the easiest people to interview. Yeah, man. He, uh, like, I'll put it like this. The Kanye that you see in 2019 was exactly the Kanye that I met and talked to in 2004. Really? And this was before his first hit song, like Slow Jams. Had He played it for me in the studio for the first time. Um, and was which, it, which became his first big hit. Did it seem clear to you that this was going to be a massive song? Yeah, I knew that was going to be a hit. Yeah. It was a dope-ass song, yeah. But it was like, yeah, he was just kind of the producer who was trying to rap. There's been lots of producers that have tried to rap. Yeah, it's very rare it, that it, it works. It didn't really, it doesn't, pieces don't come together. Now he's known more of a rapper as a producer, but back then it was like, that's the guy that does the Jay-Z beats. Like, mm. I... But when I heard that song, it was like, okay, this is this is a hit. Mm. Did you have a different vision for what Vlad TV was going to be at a certain point? Because there, there'll be random interviews that I go to watch, and you'll have just different people doing the interview instead of you. And yeah. nowadays, it seems like it's all you. Yeah, I mean, you you go through different cycles with your business, right? You you don't you don't really know what where your business is going to lead until you try out different things so at one point i, I would have my staff interview people mm. and you know the first cardi b interview was done with a staff member the right. second cardi b interview was done with me they're both good interviews i'm not going to say one is necessarily better than the other but you know after a while you know because i was thinking like well listen i'm growing i'm getting bigger you know, I need to branch off and I need to focus on certain things and maybe having other people do interviews just under my platform might be the thing. Uh, but, you know, at one point I just said, well, it just seems like the interviews turn out better when I do them myself. Mm -hmm. And if I want to keep building the platform, I'm going to have to put, and I keep, you know, I want it to be bigger. I'm going to have to put more pressure on my shoulders mm -hmm. and uh, I'll just start doing them all myself. So like this year, you know, if you look at the last few years i've done all the interviews right and uh, it may change you never know but at this point it's like okay this just works out better business-wise mm. yeah because there's like a part of you that's like especially in yours because you could have somebody else behind the camera you've mm -hmm. always been behind the camera it sort of makes it easier for you to sub different people in you know like even me I, I see that cardi b thumbnail and it's been so long since i watched it that i wasn't thinking about the fact that you didn't actually do that interview yeah. but i mean yeah there's a part of you that's like i want to develop a whole bunch of different personalities that can sort of i can be more like the coach but then after a while it sort of occurs to you like shit if i'm not you know if i'm not going to be happy with the results of this with anybody else doing it. Yeah, and you know, this is not going to go on forever. I can't be 100 years old right. and interview an 18-year-old. It's going to be weird. Does that ever feel weird to you when you have to interview somebody super young or the, the lifestyle that they're expressing is so obviously a bad idea? Like if somebody were to come in and start talking about drugs and guns as if it's the best shit ever, and you're sitting there and you're somebody, you've seen this 100 times before, there's a party that wants to say, bro, that's not that's not it. I mean, but I do say that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I've interviewed. Uh, uh, I mean, I've interviewed Little Blurry, which you've interviewed before. Uh, I've interviewed a couple kids, you know, underaged, you know, kids that had to have someone else sign mm. <laughs> their release form, like at the skate park. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. And, I mean, I, I remember we got an interview. Uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but it was uh, it was an underage kid which who I think you've interviewed. And 
we were going to do an interview with him. And as I started reviewing my notes, I started to realize that he was like 15 and he's talking about doing drugs all throughout his music mm. as a 15 year old. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. Really? Yeah, I, I just canceled it. Well, Mosey? Yeah. Don't think so. Oh, okay. Don't think so. I think, uh, yeah, I don't think it was a little mosey. Well, there's plenty of people that could probably yeah. fit that description. Yeah, but it was just like, I, you know, and even with a little blurry, I said, hey, there was a song about you talking about lean. And he's like, oh, no. He's like, no, you're right. I, I took that off right away. This is not mm. what I'm trying to present. And him being signed to, blur, uh, to Boosie is like so hilarious because it's like <laughs> there's nobody who can tell you about why you shouldn't do lean better than fucking Boosie. Than Boosie. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, in terms of, I mean, even when I'm interviewing dudes in their twenties or thirties, like you'll see a very serious, you know, tone to what I do. I don't glorify doing crimes. I don't glorify doing drugs, hard drugs. Mm. Uh, I don't glorify stealing, robbing. I don't glorify throwing money away at the strip clubs. You know, I... You know, Vlad Stocks talks about investment. Uh, I talk about long-term goals. I talk about building businesses. Uh, I, I honestly want, I mean, everyone that I interview, I want interview them a year later and have them be twice as successful, twice as wealthy, out of jail. Like, I want them to be doing well. I'm not trying to, to glorify something that I know as someone in my 40s has a dead end and mm -hmm. has a bad ending. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah, I go through that all the time. And, uh, I mean, in terms of interviewing younger people, man, um, I mean, at this point, I could do it. Um, you know, 10 years from now, I may not be able to do it. I may, I may have to hire somebody that will interview more of a younger generation. Mm. But, you know, for now, it's, you know, it, it's dope. You know, I think I think that a lot of people grow up, you know, we, we launched in 2008, so we're like 11 years into it. A lot of people grew up aspiring to be rappers, watching Vlad TV interviews, mm. hoping one day... To make it that's such a good platform. feeling right that once you yeah. realize like that there's like another generation coming up to yeah. which you were something that they were raised from day one on that's a freaky feeling yeah yeah man i mean um you know big boy he he went on instagram recently to talk about the kodak black lauren hill comments and he said something interesting he said i was raised by hip-hop and i raised hip-hop and uh, i kind of feel the same way to a certain degree like i was raised by hip-hop and the the content i put out has raised a, a generation of, of upcoming rappers. Um, you know, I remember how excited Big Sean was when I first interviewed him when he mm. first got signed. And it's like, like that feeling is always like, ah, it's just so like it, it makes everything worthwhile when, mm. when when stuff like that happens. No, totally. Just to be just to be involved in the story because seeing somebody go from nothing to something in a short period yeah. of time is always so amazing. Even if you're just somebody watching on the outside, and then to have any sort of involvement, or especially when you play like a really critical role in that like when you feel like your your interview content becomes like this indispensable resource that like their career might not have unfolded the same way if you didn't have that conversation yeah man i mean listen anyone who is thinking about joining a gang go watch that mob james interview mm. and i can guarantee you you're probably gonna reassess your your mindset i mean you know some people are born into that situation and it just is what it is but if you're if you actually say okay like do i want to join the Crips or the Bloods or MS-13 or, you know, the Mexican Mafia or whatever other, you know, Latin Kings, BD, you know, BD, GD, whatever. Watch these interviews and, and, and see the, the amount of 
heartache and loss mm. that goes into this particular lifestyle and then decide whether you want to do it knowing knowing everything and i think that we've you know i think that we've stopped a lot of people from making bad decisions with our interviews over the years mm. no probably i mean the, the the best thing that you can do is just put the information out there and just have as many people as possible take it in yeah. and just hope that they're able to you know find the the best possible message in that because anybody could look at you know there's, there's a million kids who watched american history x and said oh being a nazi is bad but there's still thousands of people who saw that fucking movie that is all about how being a nazi is bad and still went and became nazis yeah man sometimes you gotta learn the hard way <laughs> yeah you know i think that's part of being a kid Mm -hmm. is that you, you you think that everyone older than you just doesn't know mm -hmm. <laughs> it's full of shit but you know i, I think you know i always I, I say this a lot like to anybody who who wants to be successful you know realistically you should look at the people in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and see how they did it don't look at the little pumps who managed to, to catch a wave and, and ride it to being a millionaire you know the, the odds of you being little pump is much smaller than you being you know the ceo of you know a company that makes a couple million dollars a year mm. you have much more chances of doing that than, than to be a little pump and uh you know a lot of people you know like like to say that being an old head or whatever you know is not is not what they want to do but the you know it, it takes a, a, a lot of intelligence and common sense to, to get to my age mm. to not leave the earth in their 20s and 30s by just doing irresponsible shit and you seem like somebody who you know we have, we've had conversations where you're talking about being in the club when you were younger and stuff like that was there like a moment was there anything in particular that happened that made you like I don't want to live this risky lifestyle of always being out and always being in these situations and everything and hip hop, just going to a club or going to a, a event or whatever, especially when you're a high profile person, there's all kinds of risk that comes with that. It seems like you sort of stay away from that. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I have security with me. I mean, you know, my security guy is right outside the door. Very right serious now. guy, by the you know way. I mean, yeah. no, no one pulling no guns on me. In this no, interview. no. <laughs> That's doesn't seem happen. like it. No. <laughs> yeah, man. You pull a gun on me in an interview, you're going to get shot in the head. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where you get to a point and you think, okay, does, does the effort and, and resources and money that it takes to go out, does that bring, does that bring more value to the company mm. as opposed to just staying in? Because the way I have to move these days isn't free mm. anymore. I, can, I can't just go to the club by myself to go meet some friends and just hope for the best right you know i have i have to have security that security has to be scheduled it has to be coordinated when we go over there there's a certain process involved and and everything else like that and you know you get to a point where it's like i'm going out all the time and yeah you know you're running into people and, and you're getting some interviews and you're making some contacts and that's cool but are we also big enough to the point where our, our reputation is there where a phone call accomplishes the same thing. Mm. And a lot of times it does. So you say, okay, 
you know, this part is not as necessary anymore. Because because best believe, for like ten years, you know, from my you know me kind of like my DJ career to like part of my Vlad TV career, I was going out three four times a week. Every listening party, every event, every All Star weekend, every. In your head, were you working when you were doing that? I was working. That was it was. I was working, and it, and it was fun. Yeah. At the time, I mean, you know, there's beautiful girls, there's open bar, there's the energy of it, you know. When you're cool with the artists and you're there and on stage with them or in the VIP or whatever, and there's there's a thrill involved in that, but there's also like, you know, certain things happen. You you run into this crew and they have a problem and a standoff happens, or mm. or, or you know you have to leave or or, or or you know something happens, and you're like, is it really necessary for me to keep doing this all the time? Mm. And for me, the answer started to become no right. at a certain point. So. And it's also just something to be said for, you know, if you're doing interviews, there's a lot of time spent studying, thinking mm-hmm. about it, getting ready, even just like you're saying, like just watching TV. I feel like if I were to sit down and watch TV for a couple hours right now, I've just random whatever the fuck is on TV that I'm going to end up with a couple of different ideas for people I could hit up or right. just different types of content I could do. You know, if you if you give yourself that space and I think being well rested is incredibly important with what we do. Right. It's probably like there's a lot of people who act like not sleeping is this great cheat code through life. If you want to be good on camera, not sleeping is your fucking enemy or even off camera. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, no, I mean, true. like, listen, like I think about this all the time. If my only job was to come in and do an interview with someone that whatever radio station or company has already booked for me, mm. and I, I would just wing the interview, you could breeze through that. Especially if you aren't if you aren't completely responsible yeah. for what the end result, the content. Right. Are, if you could just phone it in and do a half-assed job, and it's still fine. My, my life would be so much easier. But I have an office. You know, full of people. There's a whole infrastructure between human resources and taxes and the legal part, and you know, keeping making sure everything's up to code. You know, there's the website, there's the YouTube channel, there's producing. You know, we put out five clips a day plus a flashback every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So you're talking about seven times seven is 49. You're talking about almost 200 pieces of content a month mm. that we're putting out that I have to overlook. Think about all the things that can go wrong along the way. You know, a lot of my time is spent becoming a better manager and be creating a better process and creating an infrastructure in place where this machine can function. Mm. That's what most of my time is spent. The interview shit is almost fun. Right. <laughs> you know, if that's all I had to do, then yeah, I can go out every night and then just go do an interview in the morning. But I have a company and I have a dozen people who rely on me to pay their rent and feed themselves and their families. Mm. I can't just go and fuck fuck that off and just say, you know something, I'm just going to just disappear for a week. Mm. Like, I, I don't have that luxury. Do you take vacations? I haven't taken a vacation in like three years. Really? Real talk. Yeah. Is yeah. that something that you want to do? Absolutely. <laughs> I've been trying to get to Asia for fucking ever. Really? Like Hong Kong, Singapore, like it I've never been. Like, it seems like you do so much content that it would be pretty easy for you to be able to schedule enough stuff out in advance. Yeah, man. Life life just gets mm. a hold of you. The last big vacation I took was in Russia. I went to Moscow and St. Petersburg, and that was dope. You know, I got to really go back to, you know, the, the country I was born in and stay at the nicest hotels and really... You know, experienced it at what I felt was some of the highest levels because, you know, I was, we were poor family back then under a communist system. So to be able mm-hmm. to come in and do shit that, 
we only dreamed about was dope. But uh, yeah, man, I wish I could take more vacations. Mm. How do you uh, deal with, you know, as a person involved mm -hmm. in hip hop, you could choose to indulge in all the things that the rappers do with the the designer and the the cars and the jewelry or everything like that what what stops you from doing that or to what extent do you indulge in all the the spoils that come with the uh, you know presumably making a quite a good amount of money uh yeah i mean i don't have big giant chains because that's never really been my thing but most of the other shit i I've pretty much covered. <laughs> oh, okay. So you, you have done like the the jewelry thing and yeah. I mean, I like watches. Mm -hmm. You know, my houses are pretty nice. Uh, you know, my cars are pretty nice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my my business is is profitable and there, there's an income coming in and there's money being invested and everything else like that. I'm just not. You know, it may not look like. You know, a lot of people just judge based on appearance. It's like, well. If you're not wearing 10 chains, you must be broke. Or, right. You know. You I know you're definitely not broke. I just, <laughs> I, I see you like not going so out of your way to represent yourself as being, you know, in yeah. the position that you presumably are. Yeah, but that just comes with more just being yourself. Mm. You know, like if I was always in a chains, I can go buy these same chains that you see, the, you know, the trippy reds with. Like I, right. I can go buy one of these trippy red type type chains if I really wanted to mm. it's just never been my thing so so you know as you get older you just kind of become more comfortable with who you are and uh, you know you're not trying to create an image of who you're not and I think with a lot of these guys like like the, the trippies and the um, like who, who's another person who's really big on chains um, I mean, future and thug future stand out to me as having like, yeah, I mean, jewelry collections. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really them. I think that's something they've always wanted. Yeah, and they've never had it. And it's a very solid marketing tactic as yeah. a rapper. So you know, it probably pays for itself to some extent. Yeah, yeah, and they're also in front of the camera. They're also selling a whole lifestyle. So, mm -hmm. so a lot of it is, uh, you know, the chain reaction. You know, interviewed Yellow Beezy. He said when he got a big chain, people looked at him different, and he got booked for more shows. But that's just not me. So for me to, to try to be that would just be disingenuous to who I really am. So You know what weirded me out about young uh, Yellow Beezy was like, I searched his name on Worldstar and just going back and like watching him slowly go from a rapper who had to pay to get on Worldstar to a rapper who was just doing a shitload of views on Worldstar on his mm -hmm. own. Like that gives me a lot of pleasure just sort of watching that, that development. Yeah, me too, man. Mm. Me too. Is there anything that stands out to you that you want your company to do going forward that you aren't currently doing? Are you are you solely focused on just building out this this process that you have going now, or is there like different types of content that you're interested in? Or? I mean, it's it's a hard it's a hard question because uh, <clears throat> a lot of times the shit that looks the coolest doesn't necessarily pay the best. Mm. You know, like you could have a movie on Netflix exactly, or a documentary yeah. on Netflix and, you know, most movies lose money, mm. you know. But like, if you had a documentary on Netflix tomorrow and it's Vlad presents this, blah, 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 everybody's going to be looking at you like you just killed it. Like you just did the best movie of your career. Yeah. Little do they know you're making X amount of dollars off YouTube every month. I, I've, I've had two documentaries and I got paid like 25000 for each of them and never saw a penny. Mm. past that and 
I look at that amount of money and it's, I laugh like these days the amount of work involved in creating that documentary as a either a producer or director the hours of sitting with your editor and saying move that move this take this out put this in just the amount of work involved in that to make what I consider these days to be a small chunk of money uh, and never seeing having no ownership having no residuals nothing it's just like it's just a vanity thing mm. you know and I don't really care about that vanity shit you know because Netflix doesn't pay royalties mm. you know like they buy your shit and will get an exclusive for like a certain number of years and they own the digital rights you you don't see Netflix movies on uh, YouTube mm -hmm. because of the deal that Netflix does what Netflix is doing is essentially what Vlad TV is doing they're creating a bunch of content and keeping it you know forever and you make money off of YouTube ads they make money off of Netflix, yeah, of subscriptions. Month, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you have to understand. Like, do do you want to be rich or do you want to be popular? Mm. For me, popularity was never the thing. Mm. And a lot of people will do a bunch of shit to stay popular and, you know, live in a you know a studio apartment. Mm. You know, th this is not this is not what I was trying to do. And as you get older, you start to take that a lot more seriously. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said for just having your own business and creating content on your own. And now people are 100% like enabled to do so. Yeah. And, you know, I understand completely why somebody might go and get a show with Complex or Revolt or whatever. But it's kind of like, I feel like if you don't have to do that, like people, we should be encouraging more people. Like the more people doing the kind of things that we do on YouTube and creating businesses where they can become millionaires off of doing their own thing yeah. I mean that's an amazing opportunity that wasn't available to anybody in any other part of history and also owning your own thing yeah I mean just think about that like you know I, I've had talks of revolt but none of it made any financial sense mm. <laughs> you know I, I'm not here to make another platform rich right you know and, and, and use my you know, my following and my talents and, and, and everything else like that. Or, you know, we don't even really license shit. You know how many times like Vice or some other documentary company or some TV company or a movie company come to us, oh, we want to license this. And it's like, no, nah, we're good. Mm. And, and then they get surprised. Like, how come you don't want to? It's like, because we got our own platform to monetize it on. Like, mm. why would I, once I give it to y'all, now this piece is on your platform and my piece is less valuable because mm. now you can see it in multiple places, you know? And this is why, like, so many people focus on going viral. But, like, my thing is, like, all right, you could put up a 30-second or a minute clip. But if you want to start chopping up my interviews into, like, five pieces to the point where the whole interview is on your Instagram or on your Twitter feed, like, mm. I'll go ahead and file a copyright strike and get that shit taken down. You know? Right. Like, you know, we used to make you know, social media clips for every interview. And once we stopped doing that, we noticed that our traffic went up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Which was kind of counterintuitive to yeah. a certain degree, but it was like, yo, we actually do better when people have to come to us as opposed to like, well, I just saw the best 45 seconds. So I don't even need to watch the real interview. Anymore. Man, it happens all the time too. Like I've yeah. seen that, uh, you know, murder Mook is <clears throat> a podcast or whatever. And yes, Jules went on it and it was super controversial. And like, you know, everybody's talking about it. The clips on Twitter had millions mm -hmm. of views. And then I went back and saw the original clip on, on YouTube. And I think it had like 30 K or, you know, five K like people were not going back to watch the whole thing. People were not going back. And no. that's what people don't realize. This is the popularity versus business part part of the conversation so it's kind of like 
yeah, you know, if my clip gets one and a half million views on someone's Instagram page, yeah, I guess that's cool if ultimately the traffic goes back to my YouTube channel. But if it doesn't, it's a bit of a waste of time. Yeah. You know, well, this is why, you know, we, we, we had, you know, at one point we, we, we were paying, advert, you know, we would pay to, to get up on certain big Instagram pages. But I just started to notice that it was like, it's not really, you know, it doesn't turn into actual viewers on our platforms. It just ends up going viral on someone else's platform, Instagram. And, you know, to me, that's not, it's not the focus of what I do. Especially once you've gone to a certain <clears throat> level of uh, notoriety, you know? Like, when you're brand new in the game, you're happy yeah. as fuck for any kind of attention. Yeah. After a while, it kind of, you got to so look whatever, at man. what the effects are. It's a business. It's a business, man. It's a business, and it's also a, a level of ownership that you have to maintain. So it's kind of like people get mad. Like, oh, how are you going to file a copyright strike? No. I was I was giving you promotion like people always say that like I need I didn't your fucking ask you, promo I didn't ask for your promo you know what I mean yeah. you're just stealing my content yeah you know like you're telling me how I'm supposed to feel about it <laughs> right right yeah but they don't get it because mm. they're just trying to get followers or, or whatever else I never had something taken down like that but that was a good idea yeah I guess you're taken down well like I said or if you sit there like and you cut out our logo and add your own weird ass mm. logo on it it's like. I mean, you can't even tell us my shit anymore. Mm. You know, I remember someone was like, they were taking my clips and they're putting it on their Instagram page and a couple of them I just grabbed and put on my own Instagram and the guy's like, hey, you know, can you give me credit because I took the time to, uh, to, you know, grab your videos and edit them and I'm like, you want me to give you credit for taking my shit and putting on your shit when I own this shit? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, because, you know, you're talking about every interview, like, costs up to upwards of thousands of dollars between the time involved, the editing, everyone who's, you know, people who are writing mm. it up, people who are posting it, you know, uh, you know, like, copywriting it, you know, and the whole system around it. Like, this is a big production. Mm. This is not just Vlad with a fucking iPhone. Right. So... You know, we protect our shit. You know, we copyright every video. It's, there's a copy with the copyright office. Mm. So if you want to go ahead and just take the shit, you know, it's no different than if you want to go and grab the new Drake song. There might be some copyright issues involved in it because it's a real business. It's right. not just for fun. Definitely. Um, yeah, shit. What are you uh, excited about? Are there? Oh, yeah, this is, this is what I wanted to ask. Are there any, like, just dream interviews with that you could potentially get because the other day I was doing uh haha Davis so I know you did as well <laughs> but he was just saying how he had just done the or he had just done lunch with uh, Jay-Z right before right. he came to do the interview with me and I I was just thinking I'm like god that's that's fucking crazy like you know Jay-Z that's gotta be the hardest to get interview that's gotta be the one that there's the most people in rap who would be the most excited about you know it's like there's always those ones that are just sort of pie in the sky but it's always a possibility. Is there anything that really like lingers in your brain? Like it would be amazing to get that. I mean, shit. I think everything is a possibility, right? Mm. I don't. I don't. I put my platform up there with anybody. Uh, I mean, I've never done Jay Z. I've been. I filmed like Ed Lover when he interviewed Jay Z back mm. when I was just filming his interviews on Power One Hundred Five. Mm. Um, so I've been in the same room with him as he was doing an interview and filming, but not actually doing the interview myself. But you know, I've never met Eminem. Mm. Uh, I've never interviewed him. I've never interviewed Obama. Uh, uh, I've met Drake once, but we've never done an interview. Um, 
trying to think who else. Drake actually told me he was going to do the interview and then didn't do it. Yeah. But it wasn't really like, it wasn't really saying he was going to do it. He's like, I got to do one of them interviews sometime. Yeah. It didn't really. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, me and Young Thug have never done an interview, even though when someone else was doing it for us, like like one of my staff members was interviewing his, his fiance or girlfriend and he jumped into the interview. Really? And, and kind of, yeah. Oh, talk some shit. Um, yeah, I, there's a lot of people, man. Um, I mean, we were supposed to get a Hillary Clinton interview when she was running. That never happened, but we came close. You know why it didn't happen? Any particular reason presented? No. Uh-uh. We were supposed to get Farrakhan. That didn't happen. Uh, you know, sometimes people around the person would be like, nah. Mm. We were supposed to get Jay Prince. That almost happened. It didn't happen. Uh, yeah, man, lots of people. Lots of people. I'd like to get Denzel one of these days. Mm. Uh, I'd like to get Tom Cruise. Like, you See, know? that's an interesting thing, too, that you go in that direction of doing, like, actors from the 70s, 80s. Yeah. Like, a lot of them have amazing stories, but just, yeah, I we just never did, uh, I mean, shit, I did Bill Duke not too long ago. Mm, uh, that was I did, a good one. Uh, Michael Jai White. Yeah. Not too long ago. Uh, I mean, shit. Oh, I just did um, Malik Yoba. Right. I just came out. You know, I was a huge New York Undercover fan. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, actors, professional athletes, rappers, singers, uh, criminal figures. Yeah. Like, I try to go all over the place with it. Mm. You know, and honestly, it's like, I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, a friend of mine was like, hey, uh, I want to do an interview. You know, I want you to interview on my platform. I just got authorization for the company, you know, that I'm working with. They they okayed you, and I'm thinking like, wow, that's so interesting. I, I don't have to get an okay, yeah, from anybody, you know. But they're but they're cutting probably a nice check for him, so so he has to go through that process. But for me, it's like, I look in the mirror and I say, okay, that's what we're doing. Every time and, I ever <laughs> had a conversation with any kind of TV producer, that's always how I feel. Is like wow like they want me to do basically what i'm doing but with way more production values and stuff but then they're going to be telling me what to mm -hmm. do there's just so many parts that i'm yeah, just they're like, probably uh, going to own it yeah yeah definitely 100 percent. and that just is like it's so hard for me to wrap my head around why i would want to do that hey man i mean there's usually one reason yeah for the check <laughs> but that, that does, that's why it doesn't seem like the reason. or or for the look that, or, or that, for the the, the look that, that's the problem with people yeah. like me and you is that anyone who wants to have a conversation with like that about making content together with us it's just well that's not those numbers don't really mean a lot compared to how much i'm doing off of just youtube or whatever else right exactly yeah crazy all right. Well, hey, Vlad, I'm very much uh, appreciative of you coming in and doing the interview. It's been my goal to do it for a while, and hopefully I shed some light for all the people out there who I'm sure have been <laughs> curious over the years. Hey, anyway, I always feel it's fair, like, people that come to my platform when they ask me for an interview, because you were like, you know, because China Mac asked me for an interview, mm -hmm. and I said yes, and you're like, hey, you did one for China Mac, and I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, that's true. No, because I asked you a while ago, and you were like, I'm yeah, not doing them right yeah, now. Yeah, because I was just not doing interviews during that time. But I'm like, you know, I had to go, you know, I did one for Jamar mm -hmm. on, his, uh, on his podcast. Then I did one for China Mac. And then when you asked, I'm like, yeah. I think it's important, too, because you just want to make it clear that you're not, not, not for you specifically, but for me, it's like, you know, I want to make it clear that I'm not hating on other people trying to get into my position. If anything, you know, I'm trying to, I want to help you get into that position, yeah. even if it is going to ultimately, you know, just be more fish in the sea trying to do what i'm doing i don't i'm not competing with anybody man honestly I, i've had you know, i've had you you know i've had you know sean con from say cheese uh you know me and big boy are talking about doing an interview like 
you know, I, we all have a place in this and we all have our fans and I'm more than happy to, to give my platform, you know, uh, to a per, you know, you know, show a person that is deserving, uh, to be on my platform, even if they are somewhat of a competitor, mm. you know what I mean? Like I've always been like that. So, you know, I think it's all good. No, definitely. All right, Vlad, I appreciate it, man. And I will uh, continue to watch a ridiculous amount of your content no on doubt. a daily basis. That's what it is. Appreciate out of 22, it, no jumper. Hey, no jumper, coolest podcast on the world. Check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. Let us know below uh, what you think of the new digs or whatever the hell we end up doing with this yeah. background here. Cool. Appreciate you, Vlad.